Move over, Jews. The nerds now control the media. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Cecil. I am always. You are always, or are you almost always? I am almost always. So then it's not always. Um, sometimes. Almost? <laughs> With us, almost always, but maybe never, is Peter. I am almost always anyways. But what about other ways? Sometimes. Maybe? Maybe potentially other ways. Third base? But who's on second? That's what I want to know! <laughs> You'd like to get to second or third base. Go to Adelieve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just for using the promo code DROME at AdamandEve.com. Let's talk about the way nerds have sort of taken over Hollywood. I, I think this was really solidified to me, and it's going to be weird that we that I use this year as an example, but in 2008, when Robert Smigel, the former SNL writer, you know, the guy who did Triumph the, the Insult Dog and all that, when, when he opened the 2008 San Diego Comic Con, he wasn't wrong, even though he was saying this as a joke. Move over, Jews. The nerds now control the media. Oh no! Oh boy! <laughs> He's not wrong, though. Is I mean, I'm I'm not talking about the Jews. Well, I see. I don't think his comment was anti-Semitic because he is Jewish, so I think it was self-deprecating more than anti-Semitism. But that's not the point. The point is, the nerds really do run Hollywood now, don't they? They run the movie studios, they run the TV studios, they run the streamingses. And I, I don't just mean, like, there are nerds as the president of the corporation or the CEO or something like that. Nerds really run Hollywood now, don't they? Well, what about Jewish nerds? Oh, they really run it. They yeah. really, they, <laughs> they run it like so much. I'm uh, an erotic nerd who likes to sleep with little girls. And, and if, and if they're a German Jewish nerd, it's super efficient. Yes. <laughs> He's, again, yeah, he's, he's not wrong. Uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, top grossing films anymore, Star Wars, it's, uh, you know, uh, superhero films, you know, I mean, every now and then there'll be something that sneaks in there, but even then there's, there's still some kind of element of nerdiness to it. So yeah, I think that, uh, for better or worse, nerds have kind of taken over Hollywood and have kind of taken over things in general, like, board game store nearby me you know they've they've been around for a long time times where you would go in there and there would be the table in the back where people were playing D D, and it was the typical comic book guy you know the 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 over morbidly obese guys and they're all sitting around drinking mountain dew and it was you know something out of a parody but more recently go in there to to pick up uh some magic cards or whatever and uh, you look back at the table and they're playing they're playing mansions of madness or something or they're playing D D. And there's more of a variety. There's like a couple of girls in there, you know, hipster dudes. And it's not as cut and dry as it used to be. It wasn't the, you know, goes in, smells like somebody's basement. You go in and there's, you know, more people there. So I think as nerddom has become more popular, it's expanded and it's included more people. And so uh, consequently, that is the more popular thing. There are more nerds that have risen up into the ranks of Hollywood and are really pushing for things to be released, such as more comic book movies, more uh, movies based off of young adult novels and all that kind of stuff. Because I, I kind of put that, the Harry Potter books and all that, absolutely into like a nerd genre, even though I don't like them. But it's, the, the, still, the whole, it's still very nerddom. The whole nerd thing sort of lost the stigma it once had. The way I see it is this right now, the time we're living in, the top 10 movies of the last five or six years have all been nerd movies. They've been comic book films, science fiction films, horror films. That's never happened before. No, that's absolutely true. Biggest, most highest grossing movies are Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. And before it used to be sort of 
I guess what critics would call more kind of real movies, um, you know, dramas, thrillers, movies like that, big blockbuster action films, basically. And they would be certain directors taking that helm. You'd see the next James Cameron film or the next, you know, whoever else was popular at that time in the 80s or the 90s or the earlier 2000s. And now it's um when the next Marvel Studios film is going to come out, when the next DC Studios film is going to come out, when the next Star Wars film is going to come out. This seems to be what audiences are the most excited for. This is what's promoted the most. It's it's whatever. It's the trailer to the third trailer to the upcoming fourth trailer of of uh, Civil War Endgame. It's all we're seeing now, and it it is definitely a reflection that maybe nerds are in control of Hollywood. Uh, the ones that the people that grew up reading this stuff or were into it before are now pretty much running it. And of course, on on Twitter and other other social media platforms, it's very much people like that kind of deciding on on what seems to happen. It's crazy. It's it's become so it's so different, and it's it's weird because now you see the more kind of the more subdued kind of cinema it comes out more in the indies it's not talked about as much it's more something you need to go to like a film festival to see or stream it or, or really look a little bit harder to find something that's sort of more of like a, a smaller smaller like drama or crime thriller kind of film or like a or like a, a little like horror film like a lot of these are much smaller now when they used to be so much bigger and comic book films and sort of nerdier films used to take the back seat and now it's it's the exact opposite of that it used to be genre entertainment which is you know typically the nerd stuff was the dirty little secret of every of every studio we know famously paramount hated the fact that friday the 13th and the other slasher movies they were putting out in the early 80s were the only thing keeping that studio afloat they were putting out all of these prestige pictures and we want to win oscars and all of those were bombing but the friday the 13th movies was like oh god that is what's keeping us solvent and that doesn't even go back to just that go back to universal where carl lemley was running it back in the 1920s and 30s he hated the universal monster movies he hated the fact that those are what kept the studio afloat because mm. you have that attitude. These are these old men who don't understand genre. They don't understand horror. They don't understand science fiction. I mean, yes, occasionally right. you still get like a Tom Rothman who science fiction is for kids. I, I'm trying to make the X-Men movies bomb so we can stop making them. You still get some people with that kind of shit. In reality, the nerds are now in charge more so like in England. When Doctor Who was canceled in 1989, it was still run by these dodgy old men who were, again, the president of the BBC. He hated Doctor Who. He hated how highly rated Doctor Who was. He said he was embarrassed when he found out the f***ing Queen of England was a Doctor Who fan. That made him embarrassed because his network was putting out what he considered children's programming. So when he canceled it, the show was still arguably popular. And, just like Tom Rothman, he tried to sabotage it. That's why those last couple of seasons have so much bizarreness in them. He kept trying to make it so weird that people would tune out. When it was revived, we're, we're going to leave aside the Fox 1996 TV movie pilots that doesn't really count. When it was revived in 2005, guess who was running it now? The people who grew up loving Doctor Who were now running Doctor Who and running the BBC. And look what happened. Mm. Whether we're Doctor Who fans or not, and I'm not, that shit worked for people, didn't it? It did. It's huge. Doctor Who oh. is one of the biggest uh, biggest things in pop culture, and it has been for a while, and I think it's going to continue that way. Yeah, when it came back, like I saw it, and uh, because I, I liked the new Doctor a lot, I thought Christopher Eccleston was perfect to reinvigorate the character, and uh, he was just amazing. And it it exploded in a way that I never anticipated. Like I liked it, I thought it was really cool, and I showed my showed my wife. I was like, you know, you need to see this. I don't think when did it come back? Uh, okay, yeah, we weren't married yet. So I showed my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, you need to see this. This is really amazing. And she immediately fell in love with it, wanted to, you know, check out, like, some of the older stuff to see where it came from. And because she's like, it's one of those things that I always knew about, but I never watched. They brought it back, and they it came back hard. It came back bigger uh, than it uh, had ever been previously. I mean, it's just, it was huge. It's still, like, it's still big. There's, 
unfortunately some stuff like the the quality's kind of been going they've, all over the, the place. They've diluted it with too many spin-offs and all this stuff. But but my point is the people running the re well I'm not going to call it a reboot, but the the revival the people running the revival are the people who grew up watching the 70s and 80s stuff, which I don't think the revival would have worked if it was the same stuffy old people who canceled it in 89. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was part of the beauty of it. It was that it was embracing the legacy of it. You know, they brought back the Daleks. They they showed the charm and the whimsy of the character. It wasn't just uh, like what, what they tried to do with the Fox movie, which I thought was a way where they tried to make it a little bit dark. And uh, The Fox movie was also a little too, I, I'm just going to say American. I don't think the BBC, even in the modern era, would have had drive-by shootings and things. Like, I'm sorry, the Fox movie was so Fox in the 90s. It was very Fox in the 90s. It's just, yeah, they they really Americanized it. And I think that uh, that's one of those shows where it really does need that British edge to it to really to, to have its appeal. I think that's where it was born and that's where it kind of needs to, to stay to be able to uh, to work properly. Well, obviously, it did a lot to, to help the series stay relevant. So obviously, it's a good thing. I mean, I'm not personally a fan of Doctor Who, but I think having the show go in the direction that it's gone has, has definitely helped it. Like this is an this is a case where nerds running things has been a very positive result. Let's go to a different type of nerd, the film nerd. I think the new Hollywood movement of the late sixties through the mid eighties was nerds, wasn't it? All of a sudden this was the film nerds. These were the Francis Ford Coppola's and you got the James Cameron's coming up through Roger Corman. You've got the Scorsese's, you've got the George Lucas's, you've got Dennis Hopper's and all this. I think the new Hollywood movement was sort of the first inkling of you people at the studio don't know what you're doing. This, I think new Hollywood was the nerds starting to take over, although it was film nerds instead of what we traditionally think of. Yeah, for sure, because it's people that grew up watching the more classic kind of stuff, and they were sort of emulating a lot of their heroes. So it was definitely nerdy people experimenting with, with these different movies and and sort of trying to trying to build their own their own legacy on it. I mean, you you could even call uh like Quentin Tarantino is definitely a film nerd. Like everything he makes is something that's derived from sort of the the seventies sixties drive in kind of era. So it was it was definitely the the film nerd phase. Just the the people who grew up watching these movie or people who grew up reading Doctor Who books and playing D and D and playing uh, video games and stuff are now. Now, the people that are in charge of things, they kind of understand uh, what the audience, uh, today's audience is looking for and are catering a lot of stuff towards that for better or worse. I do think that it's kind of funny. The the one thing that they really haven't been able to quite nail down, like I think they did, I think they've got... Book adaptations, I think, are doing pretty well. I think comic book adaptations are doing incredibly well. TV adaptations, like old TV shows that they've taken and made movies out of, I think they've got that pretty good. They cannot seem to get video games right. They just, no matter how hard they well, try. Well, it took them a while for uh, the for the TV stuff because remember how bad the '90s were for let's take that old TV show and make it into a really awful movie. Yeah, the only ones that were good were the ones that really subverted the original show, like the Brady Bunch movie like holy crap was that funny dragnet but, in eight, well, although it's 80s but dragnet in 87 because it was a continuation of the original instead of a, a reboot or a parody of right and uh it, it i need to like that just came out on blu-ray uh i really need to see that again you just want to see um, dan a you just want to see dan Aykroyd and tom hanks rapping oh of course i do who it's doesn't city of crime <laughs> it's so 80, uh, it's so 1987 white guy I, rap. I put yeah, I put that in. I forget which video I did, but I remember I I put a, a clip of that in there, and people were like, "Oh my god, that actually happened." There was an interview three or four years ago with Tom Hanks on like an Australian TV show. It might be British. They mentioned that there was that time you rapped. You could see the blood drain out of his face, and he very comically went, "Oh no." <laughs> 
you know, kind of make a little self de- self depreciation about something that they did, or be like, you know what, we had fun and uh, it was something that ha- was cool at the time, but it's not really as popular now. Uh, I get annoyed when you get actors or somebody who will just, I'm not going to answer a question about that, or like they'll completely badmouth it. Like uh, I was kind of annoyed with Nicole Kidman talking about BMX Bandits about how much she uh, was embarrassed by the film, and it's like you realized like Brian Trenchard Smith is the reason you have a career now. New Hollywood is pretty much nerds that grew up in the 70s and 80s that are now uh, in charge of things. Well, because New Hollywood sort of is cyclical. Like, I think, it's not called this, but I think there was another New Hollywood movement in the 90s when you had Tarantino and Kevin Smith. And you remember that era from about 94 to 97 when all of the yeah, all the of the video film nerds, Steven Soderbergh and all this, when they were, leave the Harvey Weinstein thing out, but you had one $2 million Miramax movies making a hundred million dollars and cleaning up at the Oscars while the studios were making big budget studio, you know, hundred million dollar crap that nobody was going to see. Yeah, the independent film push back then was was huge. It was uh, it was really important. And a lot of the like the people you said, Tarantino and all, they went on to be major players and they were the ones who went on uh who started making these smaller films that went on to making larger films and uh, are now continuing to make larger films. Films. And it just it confused the hell out of the uh, the people in charge at the time, because, yeah, you've got these little one million dollar films with no stars attached at the time that go on to be these massive blockbusters. And then, and then and, at uh, the same time, the Stallone movies and the Schwarzenegger movies and the Van Damme movies that are these big overblown projects are all bombing at the box office. Again, for better or worse. <laughs> People wanted something. So it's not called New Hollywood 2, but I think it, I think that 90s, that mid 90s indie thing is sort of New Hollywood 2. There was there was a name for it. I don't know off the top of my head, but it, it definitely it, it, people have noticed that because, like you said, Kevin Smith, Tarantino, so like all those people really just came out making these films that made people sit up and take notice. Oh yeah, well I mean that that's sort of a continuation of the film nerds, but in this case it was obviously sort of the smaller. It was more of the video store think, nerds this time. Yeah, and I, I think the appeal to that was that it was so different from what we were seeing in theaters. Like, yeah, it was killing sort of the more blockbuster movies. People were getting a bit tired of your typical big, like, Arnold blockbuster film. Of course, they were they were starting to get a little bit old at this point. I mean, that didn't bother me, but it bothered some other people. Like, I know when I was in, in high school, like, I remember, like, Jason X coming out and just a bunch of people going, when are they going to ended already and it seemed like people that didn't even really watch the movies they were just saying it to be kind of contrarian like i'm sick of these fucking series movies old movies when would they die and it's like just people going on and on about stuff like that and these were in a, in a big way even though i am a fan kevin smith and some of tarantino's films i think a lot of their fan base is also people who are just contrarian for the sake of it well I, i've said it before and i don't blame tarantino for this tarantino fans have this weird if qt says it's good then it is because he's always referencing sonny chiba movies and old drive-in fair and grindhouse movies and all this these same people who would turn their nose up if the street fighter or the bodyguard was on late night tv <clears throat> but then after it's referenced and sonny chiba is in a tarantino movie these are the people out there buying the blu-rays weird cult of tarantino and again Mm. i don't blame him for this but it's well if tarantino likes it then i should like it too and that pisses me off about his fan base because i I, you you see that all the time people will all over such a franchise or an old film or something and then the reference or that actor will appear in a tarantino movie and all of a sudden i need to reevaluate this qt told me it's worth my time yeah i hate that shit Here's why blah, blah, blah is brilliant. And they'll give, you know, 10 just mundane off the top of their head reasons, all because it it was something that was referenced in a Tarantino film, something that they never would have heard of otherwise. Or if they did, they'd probably make fun of it for, for being old and shitty. 
It's the same thing with the Mystery Science Theater effect. And again, I don't blame Mike, Joel, or, or the guys for this, but if a movie's on Mystery Science Theater or even on Riff Tracks, people automatically assume, well, it's gotta be crap. Now, you, all of us know there are, I mean, there's some garbage there. There are some genuinely good movies that were also hilarious Mystery Science Theater episodes. An example I can make, I don't even know why it's on there, but they have a movie that they riffed called The Screaming Skull, which in my opinion is actually a really good psychological thriller that deals with deals with people with with like PTSD and mental illness and stuff and it handles it really well for a early 60s late 50s movie and I I never understood why that one was on the show like it's a good movie with really really good tension see, it's well, just people people immediately assume oh because it's on MST3 2K or 3K or whatever then obviously it's just a dumb movie and I'm going to laugh at it the one I'll, I'll always go for is Phase 4 which is one of the mm. smartest most inventive 70s sci-fi movies you'll ever see and it's a genuinely tension-filled and good movie oh it's an awesome movie and yeah. because it was on mystery science theater people still categorize it as some garbage 70s movie and again i don't blame them for the guys for this i blame their fans their fans yeah. seem to have accepted that mystery science theater if it's on that show it's crap i mean cecil you and i have done commentary tracks on decent movies we've still made the comment we still made riffs and goofs on them didn't we okay oh, yeah. light blast was shockingly good when we did the dvd on the x when we did the commentary on the excess dvd which you can pick up you know you can go to excess entertainment when we did the commentary mm. we both said the movie's quite good but it didn't stop us from making jokes about it did it well the, the thing with mystery science theater what a lot of people who haven't really gone any further than just watching the episodes they've said on numerous times especially with the older episodes a lot of times the movies that they did was just whatever they could kind of get their hands on. So it wasn't necessarily that it was a bad film. It was just, hey, this was what was in the archives that the, we had available to us, or this is uh, what we could afford that uh, we were able to get the rights to to be able to do a riff on, and it fit well within. Because what happened early on, they, they did a movie called The Wild Rebels, and they watched a little bit of the movie, and they were like, okay, yeah, this will be perfect for an episode. Episode. Oh, that they so forgot they, about the rape scene in it. They didn't. Oh, they no. forgot about the rape. Yeah. So oh, they're like, no. so they're they're making fun of this movie and they're having fun, and then all of a sudden there's a brutal rape in the film. But they had worked so hard, you know, already that they, you know, and they were on a timeline that they they just had to, you know, cut that out and and you know really gloss around it as much as possible. So mm. that made it so that they were like, look, part of this is also to find movies that aren't necessarily bad because when you get a movie that is just outright bad it's hard to make fun of because if it's just bad but every now and then you'll get something like a manos the hands of fate where it's just it transcends that and it, there's just so much material even though there's nothing going on in the screen we have to be having fun with the movie it can't mm -hmm. just be a straight up bad film so they're like there has to be some element of joy there why they refuse to do child bride oh yeah oh, that yeah, probably yeah. wouldn't have been a good I, idea. I, I don't think you could have fun with that movie even though it's a bad movie <laughs> no well that's the thing so if you look at their their archive it's like there are movies you know yes there are some that are just legitimately bad movies but they are movies that they uh were able to have fun with you also have the dark side of fans ab about nerds now running Hollywood. This time I'm not talking about the people running the studios. I'm talking about the social media age. Now, mm. this is not just SJWs. This is not just outrage culture. You now have to walk a fine line if you're adapting some sort of a nerd property, especially if it's a large one. You have to include just enough fan service to not look like you're dissing the property, but you can't include so much fan service that people who've not, who are not familiar with the source material will not be able to follow it. And I think that is all, that's the downside of this part. I'm going to go back to, to Robert Smigel, move over Jews, the nerds control the media comment. He said, the expansion of the media and the internet have definitely empowered the quote unquote nerds. And he's not wrong. And he found this out the hard way. Back in, I think it was 2001, they were, Warner Brothers was 
remember this when they wanted to make remember this was that so, still that era where you were making the Starsky and Hutches and you know we wanted we want to make fun of these old properties instead of adapting them properly Smigel was hired by Warner Brothers to write a total buffoon script for a Green Lantern movie starring Jack Black where mm-hmm. Jack Black would find the ring, he was a stoner, he would use the ring to pick up girls and to make giant blunts. And it was so insulting that when it leaked to the internet in the early 2000s, Robert Smigel said he was inundated with so much nerd hate, he didn't know so many people cared about this. And I think yeah. that is yeah. also a cultural shift. Nowadays, I'm, I'm not talking Deadpool because Deadpool was always been, well, not always, but for years had been sort of a satirical character. But you couldn't do a Deadpool-style movie with Green Lantern today, could you? No. Well, you, you like, you shouldn't do, because Green Lantern, if you're a fan of the actual comic, you know how dark it is. You know how it's not, it's not this stupid, silly comic, which is what that, the Jack Black movie would have been. The only thing that I thought was kind of funny, and it would have been okay if it wasn't for the fact that it would have been a Green Lantern movie, was that in his, part of the script was that in his mind, you know, superheroes should be out doing superheroic things. So he used the lantern to recreate Superman, and Superman would go out, the green Superman would go out and like, you know, fix things. And I was like, okay, that's kind of funny, but again, not for a Green Lantern film. I mean, mm. this this is a guy who who went and killed the entire Green Lantern Corps to get all their rings to come back to be able to resurrect Coast City after it was destroyed. It's like this is not lighthearted fare. This is not. I mean, even the 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 um the Ryan Reynolds movie, they didn't quite get it right because but they at still, least it was played straight. More or less. It was played straight, but it was played a little silly, but it was played more or less straight. It was played a lot straighter than the comedy pilot. I think very honestly, if that Jack Black movie had come to fruition, I think that that could have very well put a big break on superhero films. Because for them to take a serious character like that and to do it as a really bad comedy, I think that like it would have bombed so bad that I think that that might have put the halt on a lot of comic book movies. Because at the time, they were still a little bit of trying to find their footing. You know, we were still about seven years ones. away from Iron Man at that point. But I think that that would have done a lot of damage. And thankfully, it didn't happen. And I, I'm pissed because I want a legitimately good Green Lantern film. And, uh, like, we're still still working on it. So we're, I think, 2020 or 2021, I think, is when we're, we're getting it. So, but, but when it comes to that kind of thing, can you imagine if when Robert Smigel's script, because I can't remember if it was 2001, 2002, something like that. Can you imagine if when that leaked to the Internet, Twitter existed? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Th- that's what I'm talking about. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, social media has changed the game. For one, I hate the fact that we know everything nowadays. And I, I know back in the 80s, you know, we read Fangoria and Starlog to get what movies were in development. Now we know behind the scenes photos. Look, it's Chris Evans and he's on set and there's Ryan Reynolds. Could that mean Deadpool is in, in Avengers Endgame? Could that mean Hugh Jackman's be, being here because of this rumor? Social media has made me hate before movies come out nowadays. They just really oh, have. Yeah. Uh, ever a big movie is coming out that I really want to see. I will go into Twitter and put a laundry list of words to mute. Uh, like for Civil War, I was like, Civil War, war. Just, you know, I just put every possible thing in there because the thing is my job, I need Twitter, unfortunately. It's like, I also know that people can't shut their goddamn mouths. They're just going to spoil the hell out of every movie. They're going to put memes up. Uh, the, the five minutes after the movie's over, they're going to, and, and I still had the movie spoiled for me because there were a lot of times where they didn't, they didn't put any words in. They would just put up a picture and, yeah. you know, it was, it was really annoying. So that's one thing I think social media is going out of its way to just ruin movies and ruin television shows and ruin discourse because it's it's all argumentative. It used it used to be like if you if, if there was like an old actor or somebody and you wanted to uh tell them off, you'd have to like write a letter. And like now you can get on social media and go, you know, hey, uh, Chris Evans, f- 
you, you know, or something. <laughs> and, and just, it'll go right to that person unless they have, uh, you know, a PR person handling it. But a lot of them will, you know, do it themselves. Mm. And, uh, it, it's gotta be crazy where you have something that happens like with, what was the, the second Avengers movie? Uh, Age of Ultron. Scarlet Witch, or not Scarlet Witch. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, was saying that, you know, she was a monster. And she was saying that she was a monster because she was raised to be an assassin, you know, and, and she was made sterile and all this and will never be a mother. And there were a bunch of people on social media that were attacking her and attacking the movie and saying about how, like, oh, just because she can't have a woman, she's a And it's like, no, that's not the – you don't, you're not even understanding what but, you're angry about. But, but the, like, so that's the kind of thing that's frustrating. But the point is – Look at Captain Marvel. Whether you like the movie, whether you love the movie, whether you think it is feminist propaganda, whether you think it is just no normal, bland Marvel garbage, I'm going to be on record saying it's probably the blandest Marvel movie that they've made to date. No matter what you think of Captain Marvel, that movie was made not only on social media, for social media. I think filmmakers need to stop listening to the sniveling little shits on the internet and just make a movie. But then... To counter that, look at Ryan Johnson. He made Last Jedi to piss off Star Wars fans. He made it to piss off a certain sect of fans. Well, he pissed off he everybody. Because he ended up blows. pissing off everybody. Yeah. The thing he, is, he he made it for. It's the same thing. He saw. He was reading things on social media. He took the social media and was like, "Oh, people want this, this, and this. Well, I'm going to give them this, this, and that. Just make what you want to make." I, don't don't make something he's there's even an interview of his like years ago where he's like to me if if a certain amount of people hate something and a certain amount of people like something then that means i've succeeded because i've pissed people off and it's like go f yourself take your contrarian bullshit out of here you know i, I want filmmakers that want to make a good movie i don't want filmmakers that purposely want to rile people up like it's one thing if you want to make a shocking film like obviously if you're making a horror film or something that's meant to be controversial you want to make people feel kind of kind of queasy you want it, you want them to feel uncomfortable and unsettled. But if your goal is to make someone feel pissed off by the way a character was handled or whatever, it's like it, it's pretty much that's that's filmmaking trolling. It is. It's just yeah. being a troll and it's disgusting and the guy should go f himself. Like I didn't even I didn't even hate Last Jedi. Like I didn't mind it. I thought it was a fine movie. But I think his outlook for the film to me says him, outcast him from Hollywood for 10 years or something. Like, send him away. Give him the Josh Trank treatment, because f*** that guy. One thing, and I don't mean politically, I just mean in pop culture and, you know, the social media way, I really wish Twitter had existed when Hunter Thompson was alive, or George oh Harlan. And I mean, Harlan Ellison was alive, but he hated the internet. Can you imagine Harlan Ellison, Hunter Thompson, or George Carlin on Twitter in today's environment, in today's world? Well, we kind of got an example of that already in uh, some of the videos where Harlan would answer fan mail. What was that one about the guy complaining about midgets always being... That was from uh, the 90s. People, from the 90s, yeah. That was from yeah. the 90s, was basically, man. That was essentially Twitter before Twitter existed. It was somebody being like, I don't like the way you're representing me as a person. We little people are not always evil. And, he, and then he went into examples like two characters that were midgets. One was a bad guy. One was a good guy. And then he said something like, because uh, the guy had mentioned his height. He was like, sir... I'm five foot five. I'm I'm a little person. You're a midget. You're a midget. You're a midget. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awesome. I imagine that's sort of the the conduct Harlan Ellison would have if he were to have ever used Twitter or Facebook or anything. And I think it would have been would have been amazing just just seeing him dismantle people like that. See uh, the the one that I yeah, George Carlin would be good. God, can you imagine Hunter Thompson on Twitter? That would be. Insane. I you don't know how much I would give to see Hunter Thompson just twittering about these stupid trends and because I mean you know he already did that in just his rantings. I would love to see Hunter Thompson if he had Twitter when he was live. I got one for you too. How about Bill Hicks? See, I've never been a big fan of Bill Hicks, but he he could have probably used Twitter effectively. I'm his saying tweets, I, his tweets would have been really interesting. It would have been the appropriate amount of acerbic. He had a good way of cutting to the heart of things, you know, on the level of Carlin. But I, I do think that uh, his stuff would have been real. You know, if people would have came at him about uh, political correctness or whatever, he would have dismantled them oh, instantly. Can you imagine what Richard Pryor would have said about Black Panther? Oh, <laughs> because remember how much he hated that whole back to Africa shit. 
in the 70s. Remember, he did a whole 30-minute stand-up bit about how we're not Africans, we're Americans, we need to leave this African shit behind. Can you imagine what Richard Pryor would have said about Black Panther? Uh, but the, the depressing thing is that you probably would have had a lot of people calling him all kinds, you know, uh, uh, saying that he's, you know, uh, get back on, you know, you, you've moved back onto the plantation and other racist shit. And it's like, you're, you motherfuckers aren't seeing how racist you're being. Like, Pryor would not have had any, any time for that nonsense. Well, we'll swing this back to Captain Marvel. The reason I think Captain Marvel is one, the most blandest, the most bland Marvel movie ever. And Marvel movies are generally bland as hell to begin with because they are made for everybody, which is one of the problems is most of the Marvel movies are made for everyone. They want everyone to enjoy them, whether you're black, you're white, you're gay, you're straight, you're a woman, you're a man. It doesn't matter. And I think when you make a movie like that, you just make homogenized garbage, which is what I consider the Marvel movies. Captain Marvel was... You just make something, you just make something that's entertainingly bland. Yes. For the masses. They're very, it, it can end up hitting at a lot of points and being entertaining, but at, at other, in other points of the film, it's like, ah, this seems so dairy freeze. Uh, assembly line kind of stuff. Exactly. Now, Captain Marvel, for good or ill, was not like that. It still ended up being bland. This was made for the social justice warriors. This movie was made for the Twitter mobs. This movie was made for the people who look for something to be offended by. And I think that that is partially the one, the, the major misstep Captain Marvel made. It also is a shockingly poorly written script. Leave all the identity politics stuff out. I just mean the plot, the way it's told, the way the characters act, the dialogue. This feels like they shot the second draft and it needed a third or fourth rewrite because the script is shockingly bad for Captain Marvel. I think this is, Captain Marvel is the, twi the superhero Twitter movie. This is the movie made to both piss off and appease Twitter. I don't, I don't understand how they're putting all of their cards behind Captain Marvel. Leading up to this, cause she signed on for a seven picture deal to be the new face of the MCU. And I think that that's really. Have, you, like, seen, have how, you seen the movie yet? No, I haven't she seen it yet. She is but I have, brutally miscast in this movie. Yeah, well, I'm not even so much talking about uh, Brie Larson. I'm just saying, in general, for them to to basically put all of their cards behind this character. Like, I understand Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and all them are pretty much out after this. Well, if you knew that this was coming, why wouldn't you have introduced this character a while ago instead of bringing her in now and being like, okay, now this is going to be the, the character who you need to follow? Because you don't know. I mean, the audience might may not have really uh, liked this. I mean, I think that in general, if you go and look even at the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, and I'm not saying that it is a good or bad movie. I haven't seen it, but I'm just going by the reviews. It's a bad movie. You see a lot of you. Well, I'm saying you, you're saying that that's fine. But I, I, what I'm saying is if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and you look at this versus some previous movies, previous. Oh, my God, this is great. This is awesome. With with this, it's almost like they don't want to say that it's bad. They're like, well, it's a little bit weak and it starts off, but they still give it a positive because review. Cecil. And that's really. Cecil. But they're saying that because they're for a character that is going to be the new face of the Marvel MCU. This movie should be like how. Iron Man was, where it was like, holy crap, this is amazing. I can't wait to see this person to be the new leader. But instead, you're getting this very milk toast reaction. And that's not really giving me a lot of faith of this whole series being able to continue forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a guy on my Facebook. I don't know if he listens to Radio Drum or not. If he does you i guess you're kind of being called out he he does like uh reviews like written reviews of stuff um and i won't call him out by name i won't like totally drag him through the dirt it's just sort of a it's a one-on-one -on -one. if he hears this it's it's definitely about you dude he wrote a review about captain marvel but before he did he made a post saying i saw captain marvel but i wasn't 100 percent behind it I don't know how to talk about that. I don't know whether to say I really didn't like it that much. What should I do? Fucking Christ, did that like irritate me? It's like, why are, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of being called a Just misogynist, say, yeah. which is why Marvel made this movie 
perfectly. The reason I say that is if you love it, then you embrace it for its social politics, for its identity politics, for how it, it, it retcons the Marvel Universe to all of a sudden make her the most important character. The Avengers are named after her. Nick Fury is somebody because of her. Coulson somebody because of her. She's the one that's going to be stopping Thanos. But if you don't like it, They've perfectly built up. It's because of the trolls. It's because of the people who hate women. It's because of this. They've made the movie almost critic-proof. And, Peter, that reviewer, that person on your Facebook is a perfect example. I didn't like the movie. Yeah. kind of afraid to be called a misogynist if I say that. And he is a very, like, he's a sort of more progressive type. Like, he wants to be on the side of, like, feminism and things like that. And he he's now conflicted because he didn't think the movie was all that amazing he thought it was he was like it was all right i, I enjoyed it but there are things about it i i didn't like and i wasn't 100 percent behind it but i don't know if i should say that it's like fuck you then don't even well, do what you're doing don't even fucking do what you're doing if you're that much of a coward i don't remember what what rag blog uh it was for but somebody had reposted on twitter that there was a guy who he was a film reviewer this was he was a film reviewer for let's say the new york times i saw captain marvel and i wasn't totally sold on it and similar thing i don't know how i'm going to write a review about this because if i give it a negative review that's only going to enable all the incels and all and it's like and people were responding like just review your, the damn movie. job just review the damn movie and stop worrying about what other people are going to think if you didn't like it you shouldn't give it a pass because you're afraid of enabling the wrong people that's that's just dumb See, Captain Marvel was not the first film that did this. I think Black Panther was was that. Well, they tried it with Ghostbusters. Yeah, they tried it with Ghostbusters, but it didn't work. Nobody liked Ghostbusters. Right, because Ghostbusters was just too bad. <laughs> like, like even people couldn't, nobody could defend that. But, one. okay, whether you liked Get Out or not, there were some people that didn't. And the exact thing you're talking about happened. Anyone who didn't like Get Out, even Joe Bob Briggs was called a racist because he said it was better than Get Out. And it was... How dare you not recognize how important this movie is? His response was, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, was basically, I'm not reviewing the movie on how socially relevant it is. I'm reviewing it on, yeah. it wasn't that good of a movie. Yeah, like if, if you're going to go, uh, on, on a similar token, like there are a lot of very important films, but they're not necessarily good. Like they are, uh, they're important or like they're, they're culturally relevant or whatnot, but sometimes it's just that they, they don't work. So in that case, like uh, the thing I don't understand with, with get out is that I thought it was okay. Like, I mean, it was, it was the skeleton key and a twilight zone episode mixed into a movie. It wasn't, it was nothing I hadn't seen before. I thought it was well done. I thought that uh, it was clever, but it still was borrowing from other things that I had seen before. It wasn't this revolutionary film. I don't un particularly understand because by them parading out how amazing Jordan Peele is and all that is, is you're discounting previous black directors, movies that have been made by black people. It's like they're acting like this was the very first film. And that was one of the reasons why I did Superfly uh, the other week was because I was like, look, this, you know, uh, the, the black exploitation movement was was back in the 70s. You know, it started in the 70s, really. And I was like, it was very important. You had uh, studios that were realizing there were black audiences that wanted to see movies that were by black people. And they're acting like this is the first time this has ever happened. Sweet Sweetback uh, has more of a social relevance sweet, sweet than back. Get Out will ever hope to have. Oh, absolutely. Sweet Sweetback was done completely. He, <laughs> he got his own uh, son Melvin, to Melvin, a whore in the movie and got his own son VD. He got VD from the, from the, for the film. You know, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, granted, that's not, that's not uh, a positive that's thing, but still. That's unfortunate, Un but it's, but I mean, he got, you know, he got him VD for the film. It is. Unfortunately, uh, members of Mario Van Peebles Force were not taught to avoid VD. Members, yes. Yes. His but box got VD. 
Visual it, distortion. Uh, that's what we're talking about, right? Culminators. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Sweet Sweetback was the movie that really kicked off. Like, I mean, it, it got studios to take notice that it was like, Hey, if, if black people want to see movies about black people, cause it was, I, I don't remember exactly. It, it, it was, was Sweet Sweetback. I think it was three, it was $300,000 and I think it made like, I think it made like 10 million or. And then that immediately being followed by harder they, the harder they come just said, mm-hmm. okay, there is a fucking market here. Yeah, the harder, the harder they come and then Shaft and then Superfly and Superfly. The thing that I was trying to point out with Superfly was that you talk to people now and they look at the name. Oh, Superfly. It's about a pimp. And it's like, well, no, it's not about a pimp. And they're like, Oh, look at the dumb clothes. And it's like, well, that's what people wore back then. It, it's really incredibly relevant. And it was a monumental hit. It made an obscene amount of money. Do you think that new, what? do you think that new Shaft movie, which obviously at the time we're recording, this isn't out yet, but we've only got the trailers. Do you think that is a Twitter movie? How it's making, fu- how it's breaking down the the way women were treated in the older movies. It's breaking down the racial things. It's breaking down the ageism. It also looks like a god awful movie that's not the least bit funny. But do you think that new Shaft movie is sort of a Twitter movie? Possible. If it is, it's uh, it's frustrating. I don't. Uh, I mean, because in a way, I, it was cool because I'm like, oh, they're gonna bring back uh, Richard Roundtree. Three generations of and- shafts. Like, I honestly, I'm not sold on the new kid Shaft because he's not, he works for like the CIA or I'm something. I'm not sold on the tone. That trailer is is a straight comedy. It's way too comical. Well, the, I thought the 2000 one, I know you don't like it, but I thought the 2000 one with, uh, with uh, Samuel Jackson, I thought was. the 2000 one. This one makes me already hate it by the trailer. I can't tell. I've only seen like one trailer and I don't think I was paying attention that much. Could It could go either way, really. Fair enough. So with nerds being in charge now, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's at the studios, do you think this is sort of another iteration of New Hollywood? Are we, because I don't think we're in another New Hollywood era, but things have changed. And I think when the nerds took over in the early 2000s, you had now the people, just like with Doctor Who and the BBC, the people running Fox and Universal and Paramount are the people who grew up watching all of the old Fox and Universal and Paramount and Warner Brothers movies. Do you think that we are in a better era now, or is this just another iteration of the old men just allowing that goofy sci-fi shit to go out? I don't know if it's really better or worse. It's just really just a new era of filmmaking. We're going to get some good stuff out of it. We're going to get some bad stuff out of it, just just like with any era. I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I think there's both good and bad. I think that um, in some cases, I think they need to learn what to listen to on social media. When you have people presenting problems that they have with something in a rational uh, way, be like, look, uh, you know, I didn't like this uh, that you did with the film, or um, I don't like the direction that you're going, and it's presented in a rational way, they shouldn't, you know, be calling them trolls and neo-Nazis and all this other shit yeah. uh, just because they dislike a film. Uh, on the same token, they should learn who to properly ignore. When you have people just screaming and you know saying uh awful things you know this is uh this is homophobic this that and the other thing when it's totally not then you should be like okay well this is this is the sect of the audience that i should not listen to but Mm -hmm. i think they need to understand criticism versus just flat out trolls because definitely you want to take your audience into consideration and social media is part you know is your audience but it's also not real life the average moviegoer probably doesn't have twitter i mean a lot of people have twitter and and facebook and whatnot but a lot of people just will watch a trailer and say hey that movie looks good and they'll go see it and they don't know about any of the backlash that's on social media they just know that they saw it and it was either a good or bad movie they're unaware of blissfully unaware of all this other side nonsense speaking of side nonsense where can people see cecil doing his you can see me doing side nonsense over at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, 1201beyond.com. And Peter, if you're here yet, because we weren't sure if you were here or maybe here, if you're here yet, we, where can people find you third basing? I'm not here yet, but when I am, you can catch me on Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, the Cinematicus, YouTube, the Cinematicus, 1201beyond.com with many a fine programming, including my show, including this show, lots of other merchandising on Patreon at Cinematica. 
because money and I'm tired. I'm tired <laughs> of not being here yet. Well, maybe, maybe if you get here, then, then we'll, we'll deal with you then. But right now I'm yeah, here. When, when I get there. I'm here, but nobody wants me here. But still, you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. You can check out the other shows at 1201beyond.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.